One of the most confounding factors in raising up an army against evil is dissension in the ranks of the good guys. But you have to define good. Who are the good guys and what do they actually call good? Everyone has a different definition of what is good and that's exactly the problem. That's what causes us to divide. Think about it. Where did you get your definition of what good comes from? What is good? If you're eating a bowl of ice cream, you might say that's really good. It means that you have a taste for ice cream, but it doesn't really define good. Or you could say, uh, this is a good day to go fishing or look up at the great blue skies and say, this is an awesome day for flying, which I would love to do. But it doesn't get to the real good that we're trying to define when we are talking about good versus evil. And when the good guys don't agree on what is good, then we have a serious problem. See, good or bad is something that is not necessarily ingrained in us. It can be subject to what we've been taught or what we know or what we have actually experienced. My definition of good actually comes from the Bible. And therefore, what God declares good or evil, I call good or evil. It's really that simple. Or is it? Because if I were the enemy, that's the first thing I would attack. I would confuse the issue. I would question what is good. I would create doubt. And then I would inspire the fallacy of no moral absolutes, only shades of gray. And if I could do that, then I would have total success in pretty much shredding or destroying the good guys because I have divided them. This is Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Today, I actually hope to convince you that the most number one destructive force in America is not likely what you think. It's not what most people even think about, and it's not even something that is seriously considered among the list of things that are actually eroding American values and freedom. Well, here it is. The most destructive force in America is denominationalism. What? Did I say denominationalism? Are you kidding me? No. I'm not kidding. I'm very serious about that. And I'd like to explain this further and develop this so that you have a clear understanding of what the core of dissension is among the good guys, because that dissension is what defies unity. And when we are a force for good, the number one prerequisite is that we be unified. Many would claim that the leftists and progressives are destroying America. After all, they support open borders. They seem to want a weakened military with no military resolve from our leaders. They espouse failed economic policies, the Green New Deal. They want to tax us to death. 
and say that is good. And they definitely put forth a socialist agenda. So the leftists and progressives can be extremely destructive when it comes to dividing our nation, I would agree. Some of you would blame the billionaire elites or maybe the tech giants. After all, it's now coming to light finally that Dr. Fauci has been supporting the Wuhan lab research. The tech giants are crushing us with censorship so that we cannot get the message of truth out. And both of these elites and tech giants seem to want to control everything in our lives. This is not good. Others of you might claim that the field of medicine itself, that is scientists and doctors, are to blame for promoting the pseudoscience propaganda that is so brainwashing millions of Americans and destroying our economy, destroying our freedom, and yes, actually destroying our health. Well, I would agree. They have all contributed to the crashing American empire. But they are merely a product of a divided Christian church. You see, the more fragmented the church is, the weaker is a Christian influence in America. And as the power of the good word has been muted, other influences have risen. And those evil influences now have a very loud voice in America. And we must fight this. We must fight this with everything we have. One thing that is very important to understand when we talk about the most destructive force in America is that division always begins with deception. And I always like to get to the root of things. And if I were to talk about deception and division, I would like to look at the earliest example that we have in the history of mankind. And that would actually refer to the deception of Eve. In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, God creates Adam and places him in a beautiful garden named Eden. And in that garden of Eden were many, many fruits, plants, vegetables, anything you could imagine, it must have been beautiful. And among all the trees in the garden of Eden, there were two trees that are mentioned as being very unique. One is the tree of life, and the second tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, when God placed Adam in the garden, he told Adam, you can have all you want from anything in this garden, except I don't want you to eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God made that very clear. Notice the words. God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It didn't mean he could not touch it. Didn't mean he couldn't be near it. Uh, if he wanted to, he probably could have built a tree for it in the tree if he'd have conceived of that at that time. But the fact was, God said, just don't eat it. So when we look at the deception of Eve, after God created Eve out of a rib of man, 
then along comes the serpent. And I read in chapter three, verse one through five, that the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Now, why would he do that? Well, he's setting Eve up for deception. He is setting Eve up for division and watch how it happens. And the woman said to the serpent from the fruit of the tree of the garden, of the trees in the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it lest you die. Now, Eve got it wrong there. God said, you shall not eat from it. He said nothing whatsoever about touching it. So she is now already confused. She is in the process of being deceived by the serpent. And in verse four, the serpent said to the woman, you surely shall not die. So now he is challenging God, introducing a lie. And he says, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. Now there is a truth. Your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. There is a lie. Knowing good and evil, there's another truth. So what Satan does is raises the question, did God really say that you cannot eat from all the trees in the Garden of Eden? And Eve immediately gets confused and says, no. We, he said, we can eat from everyone except for that tree in the middle of the garden because he said you can't eat it or you can't touch it. Well, it was not true that you could not touch it. It was true that you could not eat it because you would die. And so the serpent sandwiches a lie right in between two truths. He says, for God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, true, and you will be like God false. And there's the temptation, by the way. And the last part, knowing good and evil, and that was true. And because Eve was tempted by being told that she could be like God, then she partook of that fruit. And we don't know what the fruit was, by the way. The Bible is silent. So everybody assumes it was an apple. It uh, could have been anything. We have no idea what the fruit is. But God said, don't eat from it. She did eat from it. And therefore, Eve was deceived. And if you know the rest of the story, uh, when God confronts Eve, she or actually God confronts Adam and says, did you partake of that fruit? Did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? And he blames it on the woman. Well, she is the one that talked me into do it. And then Eve passes the blame to the serpent saying, well, he deceived me. And so what we have is division between Adam and Eve. Think about it. The first marital rift. Uh, probably I, I would love to have imagined what took place uh, in discussions following that. I mean, the most cataclysmic decision ever made that has affected mankind was based on deception and confusion. Eve was confused, conflicted, and because of that, 
Adam and Eve actually were divided from that time. Before that, they had a perfect relationship. But division does always begin with deception. So if we can get the good guys to be divided, then you will conquer them. And that's exactly what has happened in America, and it is killing us. Think about where it's happening. It has happened in politics. If you look at politicians on the left, they consider what is traditionally known as good to be evil. And on the right, people consider good to be good and evil to be evil in the traditional sense. If you're a leftist, then you suspect that everyone is racist. If you're on the right, then everyone is a communist. Who's right? If you, well, choose your topic. If you want to talk about taxes, about citizenship, about voting, about energy, foreign policy, civil rights, um, you will find that we are just simply divided on everything. In fact, enter the field of medicine. And now we have division in medicine among scientists, among physicians, and it's a severely unequal division because in medicine, there are very few doctors who are willing to come forward and speak the truth of actual scientific studies. And so through medicine, we are now controlled by fear and by a fascist-like blind allegiance because the left has figured out that if we can get people worried about their own safety, their own health, then we can easily control them. And so the fascist-like blind allegiance that we see everywhere now has become the norm, not just in the United States, but across the entire globe. This is madness. This is insanity. But what about division in religion? Well, is that such an important thing, really? Come on. I mean, it's, it's religion. And in fact, America is now in a post-Christian era. So how important can religion be? Well, division is now very prevalent among the churches, and it has been accomplished very intentionally through a conquer and divide strategy. Now, division among the churches, I would agree with you, has been with us for a very long time. And yes, it is getting worse. And yes, denominationalism is the most destructive force in America. If you're shaking your head no, please let me explain why I believe this is so. And it doesn't matter to me whether you are a Christian or non-Christian, whether you are currently attending a church, a part of a church family or not. In this time, still many churches are only online. They are neglecting to gather together to fellowship. And so it doesn't matter to me at all what you feel or what you think about religion or what you feel about the division of the churches and about uh, denominationalism. But I want you to just put all of your background thoughts aside and hear what I have to say, because it has definitely been the most confounding factor that is destroying America. You see, the first thing 
that we have to understand above everything is that America is and has been foremost a Christian nation. It is not Muslim. It is not Buddhist. It is not Hindu. It's not even Jewish, although the Old Testament influence is profound in our Judeo-Christian ethic. The Jews live by the law of the Old Testament. The 613 laws documented in the Old Testament are what the Jews to this day claim to live by. Now, among those laws are some extremely wonderful principles, some good thoughts, some great ideas for everything from business, running a business, uh, integrity, uh, family life, anything, e economic rules and principles. There is so much value in the Old Testament to define the American work ethic, for example, the American family and American spirituality that we simply cannot deny the value and strength of the Judeo-Christian ethic. But America is first and foremost a Christian nation. That means we live by the new covenant, which is the New Testament. And it is a law of liberty, of grace, based on our faith, rather than the laws of the Old Testament. So that's a significant difference. And everything that is America has been strongly influenced by Christian principles. And when I say everything, I mean everything, including the founding fathers of this country, including everything that has led to the development of the most powerful nation on the globe. Our heritage proves this fact beyond any doubt. Take, for example, the Star Spangled Banner song. Now, that is not a song of Islam. It is a song of American patriots fighting for their freedom. It's a beautiful song. How about the song written by Samuel Francis Smith, My Country, Tis of Thee. This is not from Buddhism. Have you ever read the lyrics from the song, My Country, Tis of Thee? They are amazingly powerful. And if there's any doubt about our Christian origins in America, just read the last stanza. It goes like this. Our Father's God to thee, author of liberty, to thee we sing. Long may our land be bright with freedom's holy light. Protect us by thy might, great God, our King. Yes, we are truly one nation under God. We are not a secularist nation. The words one nation under God means we live by the principles and the rules of God. We have the words in God we trust on all of our currency. This is not from atheism. They are Christian mottos, and because they are Christian mottos, they are being viciously attacked at this time for obvious reasons. 
I looked up the title One Nation Under God to see what might be available in books, and I found the most ironic title of a book entitled One Nation Under God, written in 2016 by Kevin Cruz. Mr. Cruz is deceiving us. He is lying. He states that Christian America is nothing more than a myth and a recent one at that. Now, that is a blatant lie, and anyone can prove it to themselves by just looking at the real facts, because America was founded on Christian principles. Let me quote to you even um, a few uh, quotes from the presidents uh, formerly of our country. I am in the American Patriots Bible and in this, there are some quotes from a few presidents that are worthy of mentioning because they get it right. And some of these presidents were flawed. Some of them had errors in things that they promoted, but there can be no doubt whatsoever that even they believe that America was founded on Christian values and principles. Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president of the United States, stated, the Bible is the one supreme source of revelation of the meaning of life, the nature of God, and spiritual nature and needs of men. It is the only guide of life which really leads the spirit in the way of peace and salvation. America was born a Christian nation. America was born to exemplify that devotion to the elements of righteousness, which are derived from the revelations of Holy Scripture. Calvin Coolidge, our 30th president of the United States, stated very close, clearly, the strength of our country is the strength of its religious convictions. The foundations of our society and our government rest so much on the teachings of the Bible that it would be difficult to support them if faith in these teachings would cease to be practically universal in our country. That was Calvin Coolidge. Franklin Roosevelt, our 32nd president, said, we cannot read the history of our rise and development as a nation without reckoning with the place the Bible has occupied in shaping the advances of the Republic. Where we have been the truest and most consistent in obeying its precepts, we have attained the greatest measure of contentment and prosperity. Now, these are just three presidents that I've quoted, but if I worked my way backwards or even forward, you would see the same thread of continuity in the thoughts and the mindset and the beliefs of our presidents, with maybe one or two exceptions, Barack Obama being one, and our current president, Biden, our so-called president being another. But there can be no doubt that what has made America great is Christianity. 
So if I want to destroy America as the enemy of America, say China or Russia or any other nation that is against us, Iran, Iraq, um, what would I do? What would I go for? Well, I would go for the heart. I would go for the jugular. And what does that mean? It means I would attack Christianity because that's what made America what it is. But in this day and age, we have seen a great falling away from the Bible. What does it actually mean to even be a Christian? A lot of people have forgotten. A lot of people in America, particularly among the younger generations, they just simply don't know. Well, a lot of people would say, well, believing in God is what it means to be a Christian. Well, that's actually a bunch of nonsense. If I can be honest, Satan himself believes in God, does he not? And he trembles. So belief in God uh, is just not defining what it means to be a Christian. In fact, how does one even become a Christian? I know what you've been told. I know what is commonly preached in the pulpits. And I can tell you that much of it is actually wrong. Much of it is wrong because we have deviated from the words of scripture. What does the Bible say about becoming a Christian? Does anybody know? If you say you have to ask Jesus into your heart to become a Christian, I would strongly challenge you to find that in scripture because it's not there. If you have watched some prior very prominent evangelists, they would say, you need to just get on your knees and pray the sinner's prayer with me right now. Oh, really? Where in the Bible do you find the sinner's prayer? Show me. It's not there. But you see the problem, the way of salvation itself, how to become a Christian is controversial nowadays. Now that is a problem. You see, Christians have become so confused about what they even claim to believe that they don't know what they really believe, or they are believing something that is not true, and they are espousing a lie. And what does that do to the good guys in America? It divides us. It weakens us. It tears us apart. And that is why I say that denominationalism is the most destructive force in America. If you claim to belong to a denomination, then you are at odds with God, with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a very bold statement, and I fully believe that I can back this up. And I will do that after we take a short break. This is Unity Without Compromise with Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Radio. We'll discuss further what it means to overcome the most destructive force in America when we return.
a record player the best way to listen to music? Of course not. So why are you still taking vitamins that haven't been upgraded since the 1930s? Even if your vitamins aren't hard to swallow, it's time to upgrade to Healthy Cells pill-free, patent-pending microgel supplements that work at the cellular level to boost immune health, sleep better, focus deeper, and stay younger longer. They taste great, convenient on the go, and they're more natural too, without chemical binders, fillers, and coatings. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of any product. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, -E -L -L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The America Out Loud family is comprised of patriots in the true sense of the word. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty and the Constitution to help save America for future generations to come. AmericaOutloud.com It's a fight for the soul of humanity. You have been listening to Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve Lutulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio. I have been talking today about the most destructive force in America, and that can be stated in one word, denominationalism. That's a big word. But if you want to destroy America, all you have to do is annihilate their Christian faith. Question what is good, create a little doubt in their minds and claim the lie that there are no moral absolutes, meaning there is no standard. And finally, if you really want to put the nails in the coffin, distract them from the deceptive works that seek to crush the real source of America's strength, its Christian churches. And this is why I say that denominationalism is the most destructive force in America. So I have questioned you about your own beliefs. Uh, what does it mean to be a Christian? It doesn't mean believing in God. It means following a standard. It means being a student of the word of God. What does it mean to be a Christian? How do I become a Christian? The Bible is very clear on that. But what does it say? Let's imagine a new Christian convert who comes to Christ through actually reading the Bible, and he concludes, this is good for me. I have heard the word. I accept it. I believe it. I now want to act on that. I want to actually come into the blood, into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ so that my sins are washed away, just as the Bible says. That's a wonderful thing. That is a life-changing thing, and it has happened to many millions of Americans. 
But what now? Now this new founded Christian who has read the scriptures and become a Christian according to God's own design, how novel is that? Where does he go to worship? Because the Bible clearly says that we should gather together regularly for fellowship, for worship, for corporate fellowship and sharing the things of our lives so that we strengthen one another, so that we build the faith, so that we spread Christianity across the land, which is so important. But what church should a new Christian convert actually attend? Think about how ridiculous a question this is. It's crazy. Me, as a new Christian, where do I go for that fellowship that is mentioned in the book of Hebrews? Well, if you look back a few years, in 2009, a counselor, a Christian counselor, and the founder of New Way Ministries, Dr. Larry Crabb, actually wrote a book called Real Church. Does it exist? Can I find it? And poor Dr. Crabb, he was totally slammed for this book that he wrote because he obviously stepped on some toes. He struggled because as a Christian counselor who is very popular, he was very popular. I don't know how active he is now, but he actually asked the question, what is the right church? Dr. Crabb was invited, I am sure, to speak at many, many different churches in different denominations. And as a result of that, I think he became very disillusioned and that's what inspired him to write the book. And so he's square on the mark when he actually exposes this crisis of denominationalism by asking a very simple but convicting question. What church do I go to? Conservative, liberal, evangelical, mainline, big, Small, liturgical, charismatic, reformed, seeker-sensitive, emergent. You know, the list could go on and on and on. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, the apostle Paul is speaking to the church people at Ephesus, the Christians, and he encourages, encourages them to be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And he states there, there is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You would think that with all this oneness and the fact that we have one Bible, one holy Bible, that we claim to be our standard, then why is the Christian church so divided? Shouldn't we be able to be anywhere on the planet Earth and say, I am a Christian and feel comfortable in attending any worship service? 
See, this is the, the dilemma that Dr. Crabb experienced when he wrote his book. He, he said, look, I look around and who's got their act together? Who's right? Because every time you have a new denomination created, you have just fragmented the pie a little bit further. And that is very dangerous. Why is it dangerous? Because once we get settled in and comfortable in our own little brand of Christianity, then we have set ourselves apart. We become divisive and we become critical of our brothers in Christ in other denominations. We are uncomfortable in attending a worship service elsewhere we actually, without saying it, suggest that, well, I will tolerate you as a brother in Christ, even though your beliefs are flawed, because I have it together. My denomination is the right one. And of course, somebody from another denomination will claim the same thing. And you see what that, what that causes is confusion. It, caught, it, it actually makes us question our own faith. What do I believe? Just like Eve was deceived. Is it so? What do you claim? If you are a Baptist, what is your claim to the scriptures? If you are a Lutheran, what is your claim to the scriptures? Now, do I have any biblical foundation for stating that denominationalism is a problem? Yes, it is a problem. It is a huge problem, and it must be dealt with. It is a sad fact that I can read just a sentence or two from any given church, or I can listen to any Christian speaker and within a matter of 30 seconds, I can know what denomination this person is uh, approaching me with. I know what his values are, his beliefs, his little idiosyncrasies of his brand of the faith. And that is extremely divisive. In fact, look at any Christian organization or any church, and what you will find is that they all have a creed or a statement of faith, and their statement of faith has nuances that is based on the denominational beliefs. They're funny little quirks that they cherish in their heart, but that are not cherished by all. And of course, the really important question to answer is, are they biblical beliefs? See, if you're thinking uh, that the right church is about styles of worship right now, then you might be thinking about religion, but I am telling you, you are not thinking about Christianity. Because what do you mean by style of worship? Christianity has only one style of worship, and that is lifestyle. Our lifestyle is our testimony to the world the Bible says you will know them by their fruits, by what you do. And what you do is based on what you believe and what you say. Some Christians say too much and do too little. But the important thing is, is that when we speak 
of our man-made traditions that come from denominational biases, then we distort the word of God and we ourselves become instruments of division just like our enemy. And that's why Jesus said that you cannot straddle the fence. You have to choose to follow me and to pay the price of discipleship, or you are against me. So it's no surprise that Christianity is waning in America. The Christian faith has become so diluted that America is crumbling and America will soon collapse if this is not turned around, no matter what we say or do in the realm of politics or in medicine or in world economics or anything else. Well, perhaps I should define the term denominationalism. It's such a big word. I think everybody knows what a denomination is. It's a branch or a variable brand of Christianity. The word denomination means division. It is a unique organization or a distinct faith, as opposed to the one faith of Ephesians 4 and verse 5. If we have one Lord, one spirit, one baptism, one faith, one standard, then what are we doing dividing it? But you know, many people defend this. In the course of my years as a physician, of course, I spoke with many of my patients about their faith. Uh, actually, that is one of the things that is grossly neglected by most physicians. They, they assume that we have to deal with uh, the biopsychosocial model of, of medicine, which is we deal with the biology, we deal with the psychology, but we forget about the spirituality of human beings and everybody is spiritual. You don't have to be religious to be spiritual. If you are a human being, I guarantee you, you are worshiping something. It may be old antique cars. It might be the sport of golf. It might be watching baseball, every baseball game in the world. Whatever it is, man is designed and created to worship something. And I guarantee you, something will be worshiped in your life. And so what we want to do when we worship in a denominational faith, a distinctive faith, is that we have to defend it because you want to be a proud Reformed Christian or a proud Baptist or a proud Quaker or a proud whatever it is that you claim. But you must understand one thing, and this is absolutely crucial. The whole concept of denominationalism is condemned, absolutely condemned in Scripture. And you will find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 10. Remember that the book of Corinthians is actually a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, which was very much a problem church. They had pretty much every problem imaginable, the same problems that we have in our churches today. But Paul is exerting, exhorting the brothers uh, of that church, uh, and he 
exhorts them that they might all agree on the same things. And he says specifically that there be no divisions among you, but you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. But he was informed that there were actually divisions. And he says, now I mean this, that each of you is saying, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I of Christ. And then he goes on to say, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? And what he is saying there is, don't you dare claim to belong to any religious sect. We are not to be divided. First Corinthians chapter one condemns denominationalism, period. It is an evil force that is practiced by many Christians. Why do we do it? Because it happened, it developed. You have to go somewhere, right, to worship. But denominationalism is condemned in the good book because it destroys us. It separates us. It makes us fight. It makes dissension in the ranks of the good guys. And that's exactly why Jesus prayed against it shortly before he went to the cross. And his prayer is found in John chapter 17. This is, by the way, the real Lord's prayer. And Jesus prayed that they may be one. And that was the real Lord's prayer, that we may be one. And if we don't recognize that this was so important to our Savior, Jesus Christ, before he went to the cross, and we want to justify our divisions, then we are warring against Jesus Christ. We are fighting against the church, the Christian church. So what's your affiliation? Are you a Methodist? Are you a Nazarene, a Quaker? Are you Presbyterian, Episcopalian, or are you a Catholic? If you have the view that I'm okay, you're okay, that is not okay. It is not okay to be divided. God does not prescribe any rigid agenda for how people ought to worship, but he does prescribe that we be one in mind, in thought, in doctrine. We are one body, many parts, but one body. And denominations are not parts. They are divisive little cliques. But Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in the model prayer. And likewise, actually, even though the Bible does not say a whole lot in the form of commands of what we should do in Christian worship, there are four essential ingredients of corporate worship and that is found in the book of Acts, the one history book of the New Testament, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. This passage says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, one, and to fellowship, two, to the breaking of bread, three, and to prayer. That is the purpose of Christian worship. 
to study the teaching of the word of God and to fellowship. And the word fellowship means sharing together. We share monetarily. We share our hurts. We share the words of scripture. We support and strengthen one another. We have mercy toward one another. We are gracious with one another. We encourage each other to be more Christ-like. We break the bread. This is one of the ordinances or principles that God taught us to do when they met on the first day of the week. They broke bread to remember that Jesus Christ, his body was broken on the cross. He died for us. And that's a, an integral part of Christian fellowship. And then finally, in prayer. And that is so very important. So those are the four elements that we should find in any form of corporate worship. Outside of that, there's not a whole lot to be said. But if you go into the denominational world, well, you have to have organ music or you can't have any music. You have to have a lot of hype or you can't have any hype. You have to follow the liturgy or you can't have any structure whatsoever. And on and on it goes, and that is not at all biblical. All it does is divides us further. And you have to understand something else, that if you belong to a denomination, don't think for a second that it does not shape what you believe and how you act. Do not be deceived evil company does corrupt good habits. And sometimes you could possibly be in evil company, even in a church. And if you want to question it, just ask yourself, what do you believe? Does it matter? Oh, yes, it does. Your denomination does influence you. Are they right in what they are teaching? And how do you know? What is your position, for example, on abortion? on gay rights, on politics, on marriage and family? How about on education or on a simple work ethic or how to raise children? Does your denominational affiliation determine your political views? Because there are many different brands of churches out there that claim some pretty scary things. But one thing that we absolutely must realize, and that is the purpose of today's show, that a divided church is absolutely, beyond any doubt, an impotent church, because that church can believe anything, that church will stand for nothing, and therefore, that church will influence no one. And that fact is contrary to everything that the American church has been historically, because the American church is a Christian church. This is why Satan's greatest tool is to separate us, to divide us, to cause us to take sides, to have those distinctive faiths. Denominationalism must be opposed but how do we do it? How do you do it? What would you do from this day forward to proclaim one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit 
one God and Savior. How will you proclaim that? How can you personally go into your denominational church and make it a unified Christian church? It's a challenge. Well, there are some things that you can actually do. You can avoid, number one, using any denominational titles. Stop saying, I'm a Methodist. Stop saying, I'm a Baptist. What is wrong with saying, I am a Christian? Remember, they were first called Christians at Antioch. A Christian is a follower of Christ. That's what the word means. We are told to be disciples of Christ, of Jesus Christ. We are not followers of Luther or any other man who now rests in the grave, at least the remains do. We are followers of Jesus Christ. So what can you do? Avoid the denominational titles. Avoid the cliquish doctrines, if you want to call them that. Avoid the creeds that separate you from other Christians and say the Bible is my creed. The Lord is my God and the Bible is my standard. And if you read the Bible for yourself and just read what it says and follow it, you're going to be on the right track. But follow only the words of Scripture, not the distortions of Scripture. The reason why the greatest force destroying America right now is denominationalism is because a unified church is a very lethal force against evil. It is stronger than our Air Force and our Navy and our Army and our Marines. A unified church can destroy evil like nothing else we have seen. In fact, that's what made America great. Right now, what do we have in America? Well, first of all, many churches are closed, uh, but bars are open and the mega stores are open, but churches are still closed and being forced to close. And even the ones that are being forced to close are, li are living in fear and are fearing persecution. What is that? Persecution is a way of life for a Christian. At least that's what we're told in scripture. Christians need to get back to the Bible and know exactly what they believe. We must never be silent about our faith. A Christian faith may be personal, but it was never, never meant to be private. And also, a genuine Christian faith implies action. If you are doing nothing, question your faith. Because if there ever was a time for bold action, it is now. You also cannot appeal to the Constitution, appeal to defending the Constitution without appealing to the Bible and defending biblical principles. And so said our nation's founding fathers. Now is the time to fight for our Constitution and therefore for the Bible. You see, if America collapses, it does so only because we allowed it. The church can never be destroyed if we only stand on the good book that we claim to follow. If America collapses, the entire world will be enslaved 
by a global agenda that is very real. You've heard of the Great Reset, haven't you? It's not so great, trust me. It's a global form of slavery. The World, Ge World Economic Forum article uh, that was published in June 2020 describes a plan to revamp absolutely everything in society so that we become slaves. If we do not return America to real Christianity and to unite as Christians only, but fully Christians, then it's just a matter of time. The quote, great reset could happen. Evil will prevail if the good guys don't start pulling together. So my challenge to you today is to please become a body builder, a church body builder, become a church unifier, read the Bible, and please interpret it correctly. Join a church, participate in fellowship, and call them out with divisive things. We can do this if we set our hearts to doing it. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip speaking on America Out Loud talk radio for unity without compromise. You have a gift of life and only God knows how many days you and I have. We could be here today and gone tomorrow and I determined to make it count and I sure do hope that you will too. Next week, just to clarify any confusion, I want to talk about what exactly is the Judeo-Christian ethic. And I want to point you to it so that you can begin to defend that in ways that you never have in the past. May your week be blessed. May you serve the Lord. May your gift be a gift from God to the world. Make it count. See you next week. Have a great week.